Welcome to Behold, a podcast about beholding Jesus and becoming like Him. This week on Behold, we have the privilege of hearing from Kurt Mailer, a longtime member of the Antioch Movement. In this conversation, Kurt shares how to live as citizens of heaven and shares how we have the power to disarm tension between one another during these turbulent times. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Behold. And uh, today, our special honored guest is Kurt Mailer. He's a dear friend, and he's been part of the Antioch movement for, golly, at least a couple of decades. And um, Since 1987. 1987. So uh, I was born in 82, and then uh, five years later, Kurt entered the movement. So Yeah, well, I'm um, just counting friendship with Jimmy, if, if you're <laughs> counting movement. The movement didn't start till whatever, but yes. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... Anyways, Kurt's here, um, and Kurt, I'm so excited you're here, man, and just getting to have you come into town, and um, just, I guess I just want to start a little bit by just introducing our audience to you, just give the kind of short flyover, who's Kurt Mailer, where you're from, family, that kind of stuff. Great. Well, I I grew up normal in the sense (laughs) of uh, just a suburban American, grew up in Houston primarily. Uh, Karen, my amazing wife, grew up in Brownsville in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, both basically suburbanites, mm-hmm. met at Baylor University. Um, I trained to be a journalist with a master's degree in international journalism, Karen as a social worker. Um, we married in 93, had a heart for the nations that was paralleling this uh, heart for people that was in the college group and the, yeah. the, the life groups, the section, the kind of the, the move of God that was going on. And so after... Uh, a brief season of being in our careers. We eventually <laughs> moved overseas, and um, our children, we have five, they're amazing, uh, would call Afghanistan uh, their hometown. That's wow. where we spent about 11 and a half years, wow. a little over 16 years total in the Middle East, various nations, uh, basing out of Kuwait after Afghanistan, uh, going in and out of places like Iran and other places. Um, and in more recent years, I've been involved with U.S. churches such as Antioch, New England, that we love. We spent a great year there. And, and in the last five years, uh, I've been involved in, on Antioch Houston staff in mission, prayer, the prophetic, pastoral care for overseas people. Um, and of course, my secret weapon and my boast is my wife interceding uh-huh. for everyone, giving me wisdom yes. if I'll listen, and pastoring and discipling Come people. On. So that's, that's the flyover. You've been busy. You've been I've busy. I've been busy. <laughs> and I might get busier because... Uh, uh, Child number five, who's the tall and um, muscular five, uh, number five, is looking at uh, Texas A&M University. Hey, let's go! Yeah, so just Come saying. Hopefully it'll encourage you guys. Yeah, so. we're, we're coming up to do the campus walk. And, yes, very yeah. cool. Well, we so, yeah. will be praying that in after this podcast episode, believing for that. So, well, Kurt, um, again, just so grateful you're here. And just for me to say to you, you really are. I was telling someone earlier, I said, we're going to have Kurt Mather on the podcast. And... They said, who's Kurt Mailer? And I said, you know, for me, he really is like a hero of the faith, modern day, because you are someone who has uh, not only said yes to Jesus repeatedly and every step of the way, but then you stepped into places that many others were unwilling to do so. Um, whether that would be physically moving to places or if it was simply just in your day-to-day, choosing him, and really this whole podcast about beholding Jesus, I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that you do that as a lifestyle. It's not an add-on. It's just who you are. And mm-hmm. so, so grateful you're here, and it really is an honor to have you on our, on our podcast today. So um, today's topic, we're talking about citizens of heaven, as we talked about earlier, and 
Um, you know, I, I think that we're going to get into that today as we kind of unpack some stories. But mm-hmm. you were sharing with me earlier just a little bit of this this history, this research you kind of recently deep dove into and you discovered um, about stuff that was happening during the Civil War and leading up to that. Yeah. Maybe just kind of go there for a little bit. Kind of tell us the story um, uh, of what was going on then. Well, I definitely will. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll ramp up to this. I've known about this man, John Vassar, since I saw an article uh, in uh, Billy Graham's magazine, Decision, years ago. But uh, in the current season of crazy uh-huh. that we're uh-huh. all living in yes. and the, the, the cultural war and the yeah. war of words that, that seems to be a preamble to, to worse, uh, it, this, this man came up again in my mind as someone who, was, um, who had a legacy that I could learn from and a model I could, I could yes. learn from. So John Vassar, he became a believer in, the, in, uh, in his 20s, okay. in the mid-1800s. I think a cousin bribed him to go hear a preacher like, you know, for 10 bucks, whatever, and he said whatever, and he became a believer, had a golden set of years as a believer um, with his family who also became uh, faith-filled, but then through a series of tragedies, losing close fam- family members, went through a dark night of the soul, and in that place found the pearl of great price of loving Jesus. Mm. And from that point on until his death, he, um, he was part of what was called a tract society, giving out tracts, gospel portions, and whether it was New England aristocrats or miners in the Rocky Mountains, he would simply yeah. ask him this question, do you love Jesus? Mm. And talk to them about their, their, their destiny and eternity. So by the time the Civil War happens, and specifically Gettysburg, 1863, okay. this man has had a lifestyle of faithfully doing this simple reproducible thing about engaging people. Wow. And um, so at the Civil War, <clears throat> you've got tens of thousands of soldiers from both the North and the South gathering to ramp up for this, this series of battles over a series of days. Yeah. And in those days, here comes John Vassar, mm. and he walks up to a private, you know, a picket who's at the post. Private, do you love Jesus? Um, who are you? Um, let me take you to the lieutenant. Lieutenant, do you love Jesus? Hmm. Whose side are you on? Well, I'm just here to ask you a question. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure about that question. Let me take you to the general. General, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, I know who you are. Thank you so much for your concern. Um, and, and somehow... In that context, it would be situations where a general would say, okay, thank you so much for ministering to us. Would you just give the other side, would you, would you promise us not to give the other side uh, uh, intel about where we are for 24 hours and we're just gonna escort you across the front lines to the other side. So here it is, Gettysburg's ramping wow. up, where somewhere between 45 and 51,000 of those men would either die or be maimed mm-hmm. or, go, or, be, or become captured in, in the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, He's going north and south, south and north. Wow. At one level, he doesn't fit with either side. Right. They're saying, hey, we're just trying to raise a rifle and get a job done here, right. and you're talking to us at this other angle. On the other hand, think about this question. Who was the most relevant person at the Battle of Gettysburg mm. from an eternal point of view? Mm. Was it the man on this side raising the rifle or the man on that side raising the flag? Or was it the man going to both sides with the question wow. that was eternally important? Not who's right, but who's in love. Mm. And we'll only know in eternity right. how many of those thousands made decisions that translated right. far beyond you know, when the fog of war and the smoke of battle cleared. So you know, the interesting after story about him is after Gettysburg, 
He joined up with an African-American pastor in Richmond and planted a church, served under him as head of outreach and added 500 to this church plant. Wow. And again, ah. and here's a man who had salt in and of himself. And yes. when I think about the coming crazy, I don't know what exactly it's, what it's going to be, but it's going to be crazy and someone's going to be grumpy. Maybe someone we know is going to be mad. Maybe yes. it's going to be us upset after sure. we voted and it didn't flip the way we hoped. Yeah. That scripture... Um, which I think John Vassar models is a key for the crazy. It's where, it's where Jesus says in Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 50, he says, um, if salt loses its flavor, what good is it? It's just going to be trampled. Yeah. But if salt stays salty, it makes a difference. And he, and he concludes that little parable, uh, that little wise saying by saying, have salt within yourselves, you, you people who follow me, you yes. people who belong to me, have salt within yourselves, and be at peace with one another. And so, you know, the flexibility of a symbolic statement like that is really awesome because we're not going to know till we get into situation A or B or awkward conversation C or family confrontation at Thanksgiving D, you know, what does it mean to be salt? But that scripture is going to give us a, a good starting block on how to pivot and model something that's strangely other than everyone else like yes. John Vassar, but at the same time, totally in the middle yes. of both sides of the crazy. Yes. Yes. And so I think that scripture is going to give us key for the yes. crazy. Have salt within yourselves and be at peace with one yes. another. You know, I love how you said, um, thinking of a couple of things you shared that story, which is an incredible story. Um, you know, it's, it's made me think about John Vassar going, and as you were saying, you know, men have their rifles, they're ready, they're trained for that. Mm-hmm. But he's coming up in the midst of them being armed. He is disarming them yes. at the same time. It's like these men are armed and ready, and they've been told this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Here's the enemy. Here's your approach. But yet he's coming in and disarming them with something that is other mm-hmm. but extremely relevant. Exactly. And, 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 and it makes me think about sometimes as Christians, we can think, well, we're not relevant or we're not up to the times, or maybe the knock is, well, hey, you know, you guys are so traditional or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what you're communicating is that here's a man who just said, I love Jesus. I want to make him known. And by the way, I'm going to do something that is so other, but it is so heavenly. Yes, it is so exactly. kingdom. It mm-hmm. is. It doesn't make sense to the private, to the lieutenant, even the general's like, okay, but what? You know, like, exactly. what are you doing here? Um but, but, but that even in that sense, how many people at the Battle of Gettysburg went back and forth? He may have been the only man exactly, out of hundreds of thousands of men yeah. that yeah. had the freedom to go to each side, exactly, where each side was actually willing to listen. And I'm wondering yes. if that is, as you're talking about, just maybe go a little deeper into like as we... As we think about the coming chaos, or the mm-hmm. chaos that's here that's coming in our nation, yeah. specifically, you've got sides, mask, no mask, <laughs> uh, you know, liberal, conservative, mm-hmm. uh, just name the thing, whatever the opinion preference is, and it's very heated. So it's pe- people, it's almost like the lines have been drawn at Gettysburg, we're on our sides, mm-hmm. north and south. Mm-hmm. But, but, but maybe really God is inviting us into say, hold on a second. I'm not asking you to pick a side. I'm asking you to be on my side. Mm-hmm. And my side is that I came for all people. Right. And I'm coming to disarm them when they're, but 
maybe there's assignments. Maybe just speaking a little bit, just what are some some of the thoughts of that, or just even some ways that that you're seeing that take place, or as believers, we can step and engage and be be more or less to like John Vassar's in our hour and our yeah. age. Yeah. Well, I think when I think about him, one of the reproducible things that somehow was going on is that he had an internal compass. Hmm. He had an internal radar, and he had an and he had an internal fixed point. Yes. In light of my relationship with Jesus, what do I do now? And somehow that came across in a way that inspired maybe not necessarily agreement, but at least respect and listening, a listening yes. ear, so that even the general is giving him an audience. Yes. Um, and so in terms of translating for you know, the chaos and whatever iteration of that's going to happen, um, uh, I can just tell you how I operate. Yeah. And it, it really is in this sense of in every engagement with people, uh, and I'm, I'm always referencing, uh, as it says in Hebrews 11, verse 27, him who is invisible. And I'm basically attempting to pick up either a reminder of a scripture or an intuitive sense, or even just the wisdom of experience of what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, and, and what that calls on in my experience, to be able to address a person as uh, what some would call a supernatural encourager. Mm. And what does that mean? It means calling out the good that God is already doing in someone. Yes. And what that, <clears throat> what that immediately does is it, it, it triangulates in a healthy way whatever my personal positions are, which are, um, they are there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of Texas, so I have, <laughs> I have sure. uh, humility is not one of Texas's core values, you know what I'm saying? Yes, and so I've, yes. I've got things going on in my bone marrow, you know? But, but in order to not make that the keel and the rudder, I, 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 I try to engage how is heaven looking at this person? Hmm. How is the Lord working in this person? And I might not be able to predict or read the mail of the person, but I can at least pick up some of the good things God's already deposited in a person, in their personality, even maybe an intuitive sense of calling or how they're interacting with me, and give a voice to that. And when I do that lifestyle of encouragement rooted in prayer, and by prayer, I'm I'm meaning this, uh, not just a lifestyle of prayer, but this in the moment, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I'm leaning on you. Lord, let these words host your presence. it releases something that is articulating God's presence, mm. and that disarms the right versus wrong and reframes the narrative into, oh, I'm seen and known by the Creator. You know, a lot of the people around us, uh, even those who might agree with us on certain positions, uh, including those who are so outside of us, we're wondering if they even have a soul, you know, um, whoever they are. In general, people are on a journey of first learning to trust God as their creator, that he's there and that he sees and hears me and that maybe I can trust him. And then from that place of trusting God as the good creator, they're set up to learn to discover, love, and obey him as savior. And so in that place of supernatural encouragement, it automatically makes me a listener and observer, who is this person? What's going on in their life? What do they need? Where do they hurt? How can I help them? I might not have the tangible help, but I can at least give voice to the hope yeah. for help uh, if I don't have the physical help. And these, this lifestyle of encouragement, it seems to lift that compressed narrative. We, we're, 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 we're informed that we're in a controversy, right. and that creates a tension. 
And um, some of us love the fight, others we flee from the fight. Mm -hmm. But I would just say there's a better narrative. And when we do that thing of um, asking the Lord to supernaturalize our lifestyle of giving voice to what's good in people's lives, the goodness of God in people's lives, encouragement, it, it just sets, it just disarms yes. the, the situation so that it leaves people with the hope <clears throat> of something that is set apart from the anger and the confusion. Mm. I'm known, I'm seen. Uh, maybe I can pursue that, that hint, that clue, that offering and find out more about him. Wow. Because underneath the who's right, who's wrong story is a story of people being called into loving, yes. trusting friendship. Yes. And that's the hidden thread that, that kind of, it, it just goes under the radar, under the noise of right versus wrong. Are you on my side? Are you not? Do you have the right bumper sticker? Do you not? Um, because those things are real. Yep. The, the, uh, the, the minefield of offenses are real. And it's actually predicted, you know, Ma uh, Matthew 24, if you wanna know about the last days, before you scroll right. th through all the YouTubes, Go to Matthew 24, Jesus says it's going to be this sequence. I'm not giving yes. you exact time and dates, but just expect this dynamic. One of the dynamics is offense, scandal. It's mm -hmm. just gonna be a landmine of it. But underneath it, there's this calling, Matthew 24, I think it's 13, is enduring love. Mm. And love can cultivate uh, an authentic love, not a yes. love that is lying. Because that's, right. that's, that's one of several slippery slopes in yeah. our culture war, our, our war of words right now is, is that um, love kind of, uh, in the words of Eberhard Arnold, he was a leader of a Christian community as Nazi Germany was on the rise. He said it this way. He said, love without truth lies. Mm -hmm. In the name of love, we'll do this. In the name of love, we'll do that. But, but in the process, you're just kind of stepping on what's really happening. You have no clarity. You have a lot of compassion, but there's no clarity. And so, mm -hmm. so there's no accountability and things continue to go into chaos. On the flip side, if you don't have love and you only have truth, what that what that ha what happens is truth becomes no longer uh, like a like the trowel of someone building. It becomes more like the spear of someone accusing. Truth wow. without love starts killing yes. hope and killing relationship. Yes. So all that to say, that lifestyle of looking, asking, okay, what do they need in their hearts? Where do they hurt? How can I help them? If not tangibly, you know, like like Paul and Jesus both say, remember the poor, if not tangibly, at least on the level of hope, when I do that supernaturalized encouragement, it lifts everybody out of that and leaves people in a place to pursue truth and pursue love from a place more of clarity that the real story is, I wanna discover who made me, that I can trust him and have, um, have something new happen in my life other than this wow. boxing match. I love that. Is that I, helpful? Oh, it's so helpful. And I think so helpful for us at a time like this when 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 truth is hard to come by. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was talking to someone the other day and I was trying to think about in the gospels of <clears throat> who are the people that got offended. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes we think, well, it's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and yes, they were in that group. But I would say in a general sense, I think people that were offended in the Gospels when Jesus was talking or when he was doing were people that didn't want to hear the truth. Mm -hmm. And because the truth the truth offends, if there is pride, blockage, mm -hmm. hurt, pain there, it offends. And even modern day, when you share truth with someone, mm -hmm. they either rise up 
and defend themselves and justify and say, well, I don't want to hear it, mm -hmm. right? Like it gets so bad to even where Stephen's about to be stoned and mm -hmm. it's the, ah! Yeah. And they stone him because they didn't want to hear the truth. And we live in a day and age where it's, if you share the truth with me and if my heart is not ready to receive it, mm -hmm. if I'm not open for that, oh, it offends. Mm -hmm. And I'm ready to pick up my gun and mm -hmm. aim it this way. And I think that we are seeing that in our society. I know we're experiencing that in the church. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's mm -hmm. be honest and say when the truth is there. But like you said, it has to be truth with love. It is, yes. it is the both and. They have to <clears throat> experience our truth as love. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about an art form, not a science. It's this in the moment thing that comes from our accumulated experience. Yes. For sure, that's a contributing factor to how we engage, but it's also our real-time relationship with Jesus. Um, you know, what I've found uh, in this kind of way of living is um, it, I'm surprised that, that no matter what they're thinking up here that may or may not agree with me, that may or may not offend me or annoy me right. or make me roll my eyes, um, that, that, um, that most people live in a desert mm. of non-encouragement, whether it's the no mercy zone of work where they feel like they're just a human resource, you know, from yeah. which they're getting, you know, the maximum caloric burn of extraction, or, or they're the black sheep of the family because they're on the wrong yeah. side, yeah. or, or, uh, you know, they're they're written off as the village idiot in their classroom because they asked a question one day that was, you know, not culturally correct or whatever. Yes, right. You know, people just they need life-giving words yeah. as the floor yes. for. I'm known and seen, now there's possibilities for transformation. There's possibilities for being changed from the inside out. There's possibilities for alignment. And that's what speaking the truth in love does when we, we do this with people, um, especially if they see us as people who are authentically listening. That's like the, the first, that's the vanguard of authentic love is the authentic listening. Yeah. And so, um, so good, yeah, and, and here's a story that comes to mind from way back when, and then you can ask me another question yeah. to guide this. but. Um, so we lived in Afghanistan pre-9-11 under the Taliban as, as infidel guests. Um, and then we lived in Afghanistan um, after 9-11 uh, in a remote mud brick area of a city uh, way up in the mountains. And, um, and it, at that time, of course, Al-Qaeda uh, Al were kind of, the former allies of the Taliban were kind of in hiding in the mountains, but they were still continuing to do their work. And um, when, when, when my wife and I moved there along with some others, you know, we, we, were, we were salt and uh, light in, this, in, in, in several ways, but one way was being like them. Mm. Uh, not in ways that compromised our values, but in ways that I would say leveled the playing field. You know, just yes. imagine, you know, a football game, a baseball game, you know, if the playing field is leveled, if the stripes are drawn in the right place, then all the creativity in the world can happen within those lines. And so we dressed like they did. We spoke their language. We lived in a mud brick home among them. Yes. Even though we were the outsiders with the wrong religion, you put it that way, in terms of we were cultural outsiders. Right. Uh, I remember the very first day we lived there, uh, the night before there had been a tragic accident where five teenagers of five different families had been on a joyride with too much moonshine, went off the cliff uh, on this cliffside road, all died in the river below, five families in mourning, uh, 
and we go at, and mourn with them at the funeral, at the mosque, we're mourning with them, and immediately they're saying, these are not normal outsiders. Mm. Um, I mean, later we danced at their weddings, we ate their food, we sang their songs, we were with them. When, when my son Sam, the one looking at A&M, uh, was born, I did what they did. I had a huge feast. The governor came, the mujahideen came, everyone wanted, wanted to see how the foreigner could cook <laughs> mutton and dish out the, <laughs> dish out the stew, uh, celebrate. And so there was wow. this, this cultural, like we were like them yes. in, way, in a way that leveled the playing field. And we also did things that were authentic love for them. We, we, um, we worked in an apprenticeship program to do economic development for those who had missed education because of the war. Um, Microenterprise at home or apprenticeships with you know, professional uh, artisans and craftsmen and skilled workers. Mm. Um, you know, we, we did these kind of things that were kind of in and among them. Uh, we would pray for the sick. And you know, if I can digress, this is one way that people in our context, even if they wouldn't call themselves religious, mm -hmm. which is more and more of a trend, people say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You're well, right. most spiritual people are okay with prayer in some form. Mm -hmm. I'll digress back to Afghanistan. I never had a Taliban say no to prayer, and I was wow. an infidel, and this is crazy that I'd wow. be saying such a thing. But, but, but in that context, getting back off the digressions, we were known for people who prayed for the sick, yes who spoke in parables, told these stories. It was basically the stories of Jesus yep. in, an, in an Afghan flavor, yep. in Afghan clothing, so to speak. And so we were like them in all these ways. Uh, and that was being salt in the sense of being like them. Then the Taliban come, to, excuse me, Al-Qaeda comes to town. They come in under the radar. They meet with the ethnic and cultural and religious leaders of the city. And we don't know this. Right. We're just doing our stuff, you know, economic development. I'm living my life, raising my kids. You know, I had sheep and goats like they, they did, sent them up and, you know, to the pastures, they'd come down, how's your sheep, how's your goats, just, just, just yes. kind of like we do here. How yeah. was the football game? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> how's the coffee at Blue Baker, whatever, <laughs> you know, just you're, you're in their world. Yes. But we didn't know about this specific thing of Al-Qaeda coming. And they came to the leaders and they said, we want your foreigners. We want your outsiders. We want these infidels. Um, and the leadership of our, of our area had a, had a big decision to make because in some ways, culturally, they identified, ideologically, yes. in some ways, they identified a whole lot with Al-Qaeda. Yes. Uh, but then in other ways, they're like, wait a minute, you're, you're an outsider too, just like these other people, and you're, you're telling us, buy into your ideology and we'll hand over your foreign, our foreigners to you and they'll kidnap them, do what they want with them. So they had this big conversation and then they came back to, the, the, to, to Al-Qaeda and they said, look, yeah, we have the same ideology as you do in a lot of things. We agree with you in a lot of ways. But let us tell you a little bit about our infidel foreigners. They help our kids with homework. They equip their teachers. They mourn at our funerals. They dance at our weddings. They are raising their children here. They go to the sporting events with us. They love us. Mm. You can't have our infidel foreigners. You you wow. may leave, and they pushed them out. Wow! And and that story, uh, I'm glad I'm glad I didn't know about that. Sure, <laughs> sure. I think I would have had to have a, a lot of cups of chamomile tea or something stronger at Gringos <laughs> to calm down. But but uh, 
but uh, Gringo's is a restaurant in Houston. I don't know if you have it up here. What do you have up here? Uh, Ninfas, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all that to say, all that to say, I'm glad I didn't have it. I didn't, yes. glad I didn't know about that. But that story blew me away wow. because here are people who are completely different from me yes. culturally and ideologically, but somehow love had translated, and now they're the barbed wire for me. They're the first line of defense for me, wow. even though I'm the one who's not politically or culturally correct. And it's somehow, somehow I kept my salt. They knew I was this infidel. In other words, I didn't qualify. And yet the love was the, the wild card that they played to say, hey, this, this shifts the game. We want, we want to keep our, we want to keep our outsiders. Wow. Kurt, Is that I, helpful? I have never heard that part of the story. And uh, I think that it, it's a blow away that, you know, we're, we, we oftentimes I think, as you were sharing earlier, we think of of love is this word that's been totally butchered and watered down different ways and misconstrued in society and life, but that <clears throat> says, for God so loved the yeah. world. It's like, what drove him to send his son, Jesus, to planet Earth to rescue us as people that are fallen, broken, sinful, messed up? His love. It was the love of God. And that to be brought back, even in this story, to say, hold on, the love of God transcends like it it is the it <clears throat> it is the one thing that is able to be communicated on different levels across cultures yeah. truth people may they may disagree with a mm -hmm. perspective or I don't know but but love is felt love is experienced yeah. love is unmistakable especially when it's in alignment with God's love which is unconditional mm -hmm. and what I hear you sharing is we we did our level best to unconditionally love a people, yes. no matter what they said or did. And so what actually what they got, I'm hearing you say, the trump card was, these people love us. Mm -hmm. If they had the verbiage, they would say, they love us like God loves it. Like they, if they knew that, they love us like we, like we know that feels right. And I think as I think about the design of God, each of us as people, yes. we were designed to receive love. Mm -hmm. That's how we were made. Mm -hmm. Sin is distorted, broken, but we were designed for that. And what I hear you sharing is the supernatural encouragement idea, loving people, the cross-cultural reality is that once you believe and understand that everybody was made for love, and once you understand that that is the ticket into hearts and transformation mm -hmm. and life and relationship, then you stay on that. You don't move off it. And it sounds like y'all went to Afghanistan and you committed yourselves. There's a lot of things you did, but it sounds like the basis was, hey, we're here to love a people. So let's figure out how do we communicate love? How can they experience love? How can we relate to them the love of God from people to love them? And I'm reminded of in Mark 12 with the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right. And love your yourself. It sounds like that that was your mission plan. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, that, it that that's our mission statement. Love God and love these neighbors. So how are we going to make sure those things we're giving everything into that? And I it's a beautiful story and golly at a time like this yeah. in our nation, it's uh, to even hear back to those nine eleven days. I was a freshman in college at A and M mm -hmm. when nine eleven happened. And you know, and we don't know. We're on, I'm here on this side here in College Station, and we're thinking about the Iraq War, all sorts of stuff, mm -hmm. and what's going on with the Taliban. And but you guys were there, experiencing it and loving people in the midst of chaos. Mm -hmm. 
and war, which I think is so profound for now, is we are called to love people no matter what the circumstances, the atmosphere, mm -hmm. the cultural war that's going on. We're called to love in that place. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how this, this self-giving love, that's what the word agape means, um, self-giving love, as, as our Afghan friends and neighbors of all types, you know, even the scary ones, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, the ones that liked their religion as strong as their liquor, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, so uh, even, even as we loved them in this self-giving love, um, it opened up a door for hunger to mm. explore the truth. Yeah. And again, we, we live uh, in a situation that's in a lot of ways strangely like what we lived in in those days in that the idea of exploring for truth was a foreign concept mm. because it might imply that you're insubordinate, that you're not for me, that you're not a team player, that's that it. you're you're asking questions, you must be combative. You know, it's a nice mm -hmm. word that you don't want written up in yes. your file to tank your resume on LinkedIn. You know, yes. you, did, right, you right, know right. I was just asking questions to find out what was true. <laughs> You're calling me combative, I'm done. You know, I'm gonna have to yes. put smiley faces on my LinkedIn now. But anyway, <laughs> instead of, you know, the years I worked for you, whatever. But, but all that to say, what I saw was that self-giving love opened up authentic desire for the truth. Mm. Um, I remember I was in a situation uh, I was on horseback going ahead of a mobile medical clinic way up into the mountains of the Hindu Kush, the, the highest mountains of Afghanistan, notifying different villages along with some Afghan uh, co-workers about a coming medical clinic because it would take time to get down from these villages. And I was staying overnight in this village. Uh, the, he the head of this village was there and they had the lantern out and they were, <clears throat> they were talking about a, a problem. <clears throat> they were talking about this dilemma where um, a young man from their village had been caught in the cornfield with a young woman from the village over the hill, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, so they were caught, yes. dragged out, and um, the, the, uh, the village of the, of the young man, they roughed him up, put him in a log cabin, true story, put him in a log cabin, locked him and said, okay, three days bread and water for you. You're, you've, shamed our, you've shamed our village and you're acting like a, a, a chump, grow up. Wow. But the leaders of the, of the village uh, of the young lady come over and they say, that's not good enough. Death by stoning. Death by stoning. We've got wow. the written code here. We've got the written tradition here. Death by stoning. And so, you know, the village of the young man is saying, hey, can't we just salt? We'll give you our best cornfield. We'll give you our best goat. Just let's call it even. No, death by stoning. And so in a, in a funny way, wow. though, though it's far removed from this city, sure. in, a, in, some, in some ways it's the same. It's you're the former you're against me. It's either this pole or that. Wow. And I was sitting there literally as a pilgrim passing through. I'm just passing through for a night. And I said, hey, I'm an outsider and um, this isn't my argument, but I just, I just wanted to say, I, I, knew of a I know of a great teacher, uh, a great man who was affirmed by God with signs and wonders. And he, he had the situation where some people brought a woman caught in adultery to him and said, death by stoning. And he, you know what he replied? He replied, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And that shifted the conversation. Wow. And it went late into the night. And the head of the village of, of the young man said, I want your New Testament. And I said, hey, hey, you're asking me Basically, I would, I would have said in this context, I would, I would have said, hey, you're asking me a politically incorrect question. You're asking me for something that's going to get you in trouble. You know this. 
I'm a Christian, you're a Muslim, you're asking for the New Testament. He said, hey, I'm the head of this village, I'm the authority of this village, and what you're telling me leads me to believe that this is a resource for decision-making. Hmm. And so, wow. you know, I prayed through the night, uh, uh, and in the morning we were leaving, or I, 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 I can't remember if I stayed up all night, but I definitely got up early praying. Um, and at the end, I, you know, we were leaving and I said, hey, you want this f for, for a resource for making decisions? You can have this resource, take mm -hmm. this resource. And there you had it. it it, wow. it, was, uh, it was the organic growing of truth and love together. Or <clears throat> I'll give you another, another example wow. here. Um, uh, the, the, the Psalms, you know, the, the book of David, uh, as, 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 uh, as uh, some cultures call it, uh, the Zabur, as some cultures and religions call it, um, wasn't translated into the local language of Afghans. And I was in, this is, this is taking place in another city, but I'm talking to this gentleman and um, he's wanting to grow in prayer. He's not in my ideology, ideological camp. He's not in my cultural or religious camp at all, but he's talking to me about, I wanna connect with God. And yes. I said, well, hey, you know, one way I connect with God is I read the book of David, the Psalms, and I just read until I find a sentence that is what's going on in me. And then I just use those words to say, God, this is what's going on in me. And, um, and hey, I have a, it's not translating all 150 something of them, it's just translating a handful of them, but I've got some of the Psalms in your language. Would you like to borrow this book? He said, sure. So I gave it to him. And in this particular city where I'm living a lot, at the time, a lot of the, with my family, a lot of the uh, buildings have flat roofs. Mm -hmm. So I go to sleep and in the morning early, I'm waking and I hear someone speaking at the top of his voice hmm. early in the morning, pre-sunrise. And I'm thinking, my goodness. Now, Afghans get up an hour sure. before sunrise. They're a lot more disciplined than us folks, <laughs> uh, or at least when I was in college sure, compared sure. to that. But, but he's up and out, there's this voice. And so I go to the balcony, I pull the curtains back, and there's this man, this young man to whom I'd given the Psalms. And he has them open and he's standing on his roof and he's speaking them out loud up to the sky. And these examples, wow. that example and the one before, they, wow. they took place in a context of, hey, uh, these people really love us, um, and I, I, I'd like the resource that mm. seems to be fueling their love. Mm. And you see, in both those examples, Nobody was foisting anyone on anyone. No one was spinning anything on anyone. In yes. fact, in both those situations, the people were wanting what I had. Yes. And uh, that's how somehow love, authentic yes. love, opened up a way for authentic exploration of the truth. Yes. And, um, and for me, it just became a place of awe of God is at work. Right. You know, he always pairs it, truth and love, grace and truth, the scriptures and the power of God. He works in yes. this tandem yes. that, um, that has as its foundation this, this self-giving love ethos or mode. Yes. Anyway, there's just a couple stories. That is amazing. And um, you're, you're so right that it is the way in, I, I think as you said it, is, is that <clears throat> if we lead with love, mm -hmm then that does give an opportunity to disarm mm -hmm. so that the truth can have an opportunity for people to grasp onto it or to grapple with it. But if we don't lead with love, 
mm-hmm. then then maybe that 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 truth even modern day it is it's just coming across offensive and maybe even as I'm thinking about our approach at times is to be so black and white mm-hmm. um, and that our approach needs to uh, to really maybe look at Jesus again mm-hmm. and say hold on a second he he told stories he related to the people he 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 went on their level, mm-hmm. and he demonstrated for us how how do you win hearts over? It's not by demanding, by controlling, by yelling louder. It's by displaying a love that is otherworldly, that is mm-hmm. that that is heavenly, right? It is it is your kingdom come, <laughs> your yeah. will be done. It mm-hmm. is I'm going to display to you the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. and the kingdom of God looks very different than any kingdom on this earth. And it's very salty. And I just even hearing you share those stories, it sounds like you, Kurt, your family, y'all, y'all, that you were able to grab hold of that reality of, you know, like we are truly citizens of heaven. We are truly mm-hmm. holding on to a kingdom that's not of this world. Mm-hmm. And that's going to look very different. And when you step into the fray of an argument like that with the two Afghan mm-hmm. villages, it's man, God's allowing you to share something that all of a sudden now cultivates a hunger. And I, and I think that's just for me, even as I'm learning is, okay, the hunger is sometimes cultivated once there's love. Mm-hmm. Like the love helps to prime the pump for the hunger, yes. for that truth. But, yeah. but, but without the love, it's just people put mm-hmm. up walls, they get offended or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, and you, and thinking about that for this context, for... Brian College Station in, you know, Central Texas. Um, it it means we become gentle evangelists, gentle prophets, uh, gentle pastors. Mm-hmm. It's uh, um, people start intuitively trusting us, even though uh, we might not agree with them, and they might not agree with us on a lot of things. Yeah. And so it's it's uh, it's winsome. It's uh, it's a bit mysterious, not irresponsible, but it, because it's, it's actually empowering the other people to decide, okay, you're going to be yeah. my, my chaplain. My, my, you're going to be the prophetic voice. You're going to be the one telling me these hopes that I'm not sure I believe. I mean, yes. it's like there's a restaurant I go to in Houston, an Italian restaurant, and I've only interacted with this particular server twice, uh, but each time I said, hey, this is what I see going on in your life, and I'm on the wavelength of encouragement, and already he's told me, yeah, I had to separate from my girlfriend, we were going to get married, but there's issues in her life, and I know I need to get rooted back in faith, and, um, you know, he's he's confiding, like, suddenly I'm on the level of the hairdresser and the bartender, he's telling me everything, and I I just, you know what I'm saying, and and so part of it is he's empowered me Mm. to do that, or the last time I was there, I said, hey, um, uh, I'm... I'm reminded, I mean, for me, literally, just off camera, off mic, what I'm literally in my, in my heart, I'm seeing a, like a bean sprout or a little plant grow up, mm-hmm. okay? But I know, okay, that needs to translate, so I'm thinking, uh, Isaiah 53, he grew up before him like a tender plant and like a root out of the dry ground. Yeah. So uh, knowing the scriptures helps a lot yes. when you're trying to blend spirit and truth. Yeah. And so in a way that's translatable to him, I explained to him, this is what I'm seeing, and he says, 
oh wow, I'm a gardener, I love herbs, I just wow. planted this, I'm planting that, I'm gonna do an herb garden, and yeah, and, and I think God's moving in my life, or he, I think he said God is at work in my life, he said something like that, not my li lingo, yes, but right. equivalent. Yep. And, and all of this is in the two and a half minute zone, and what's happened is, um, well, I've gotta say something about Lord of the Rings, sooner or later it comes yeah, up. Come on, come on. But you know that scene where Gandalf the Grey is going into Theoden's, you know, hall, yep. and everybody, you know, it's like one, he's, he's disarmed of all the weapons. That's one of the coolest scenes, right? All yes. the things from Aragorn come off, all the daggers and stuff. Anyway, whatever. Some people geek out on that stuff. But anyway, the essential thing is he goes in as this person, but it turns out that he's this other that's yeah. actually able to liberate and breathe fresh mm -hmm. air and, and literally just push out the darkness and bring clear thinking. In that mm -hmm. scene, what happens is the king, the one in authority, the one in charge of that situation, now can think clearly and isn't poisoned yes. by the toxin of right. what's going on in the air around him. Yes. And that's who we are. We, we, at one level, we might come across as quaint, as religious, as odd, whatever. But in some ways that frees us up because fools have no enemies, at least non-angry fools. Gentle fools have no enemies, I'll put it that way. And in that way, we're kind of given space because we're gentle, we're disarming, we, we're not carrying our weapons out or, you know, it's, it's not, you know, <laughs> the brass thing on the holster is not off, you know. Right. And so there's, we're given that space and then in that space, really it's the work of God to through us become the prophetic voice, the voice of good news. Uh, the comforter, the, the, the visionary who sees what could be in their life, whether it's an individual or a group of people. And, and, um, and so that, that scene of you know, Gandalf kind of, kind of taking back the cover and then revealing who he is and bringing clarity really parallels in a much gentler, more human way, our everyday yes. action. Yes. I mean, I see it all the time. I was, yes. I'll just one little, I, yeah. just, I think about it. I'm at an event in Galveston uh, it's for Unbound, Light Up the Dark, raising funds for our anti-human traffic initiative. I think you have a great one here from what I hear. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's late. It's about an, it's an hour drive back, back to Houston where we live. Halfway there, I stop at a Starbucks. You know, Google says it's open for three more minutes. So I'm going through the, the, the tension of I need the caffeine. Okay. And so we get there. We get in the drive-thru. And, and as the person is talking to me and I'm hearing her voice, I'm full of confidence to encourage her. And so we get up there, my needs are met, she gives me my, you know, my hot, mildly caffeinated drink, and I just look at her, and she's got her mask on, you know, and, I, and she's leaning through the little window, and I say, hey, this is what I see in you. And it's, it's a 45 second or 30 second sound bite. And within seconds of talking to her, she's collapsing on the rim of the, the frame of the window as if she hasn't drunk water in months and someone's giving her water. And again, it's this sense of um, we are human. I need my Starbucks yeah. or whatever better form of coffee there is in sure, College Station. Sure. I need that. But, but in the context of just being common, suddenly there's this surprise of the uncommon and it, and it, and it initiates something. Yeah. So uh, I, I think part of the problem for us is we, we want the sequoia trees, but really in a lot of time, a lot of times we're nurturing kind of uh, the, the gardening of the beginning of things. And we, we have yeah. to exercise this long suffering with people in their ideologies, in their arguments, and it's a stretch for me. Yeah. It's a stretch sometimes, wow. especially when people's voices are loud. It's really hard for me to, 
to suffer long with things that seem yes. um, offensive, but to, but to suffer with this faith that God's at work, my role is to impart these prophetic, these, these good news giving, life-giving yes. life words to people, these comforting words to people that actually acknowledges people have space in the patience and mercy of God for a discovery process. Yeah. And somehow in all that, I haven't lost my salt. I mean, I belong to Jesus. You know, I remember I was interacting with this uh, uh, brilliant Chinese scholar, you know, uh, she knew Latin and I was in this Greek class. I was like the class dunce at the back of the room with all these people. They, <laughs> they were explaining the finer points of Greek in ancient Latin. I'm like, what am I doing here? But anyway, so I, I, I um, communicate with this Chinese student what I see and she writes back and says, are you a psychic? Uh, do you believe in life after death? And um, what about this? What about that? Right. And I can't judge her for that. She's, that's her story. At the yeah. same time, um, I need to be a little more clear and say, well, I, uh, out of all the spirits that I could listen to, I listen to one spirit. I listen to the spirit of God, and I belong to Jesus, who gives me access to his spirit. Mm. And, I, and um, you know, I'm not afraid to say I'm a Christian, uh, but sometimes, according to where someone's at, uh, I'll just say, yeah, I belong to Jesus, because it make because it really is that I belong to Him, and it's yes. and it's not me trying to sell you something; it's yep. me trying to serve you as one uh, in yeah. whom Jesus lives, yeah. and uh, that just frees up a whole lot of possibilities yes. to be fascinated and not frustrated mm. with the wonky and the weird and the awkward and the offensive that's in the mix of everything I'm saying. Yes, yes. that keep, is so keep, good. Keep oh. talking. I'm I'm on a roll. No, you need to ask me more questions to get good. me good. I am. I'm just. I'm loving it. I mean, I think, uh, I I think you really are unpacking something, and, um, you know, it's I, I'm having this picture in my head as you're talking of, you know, we're getting close to Christmas here, mm -hmm. and I'm what I'm envisioning is there. There's like this big box that's that's wrapped beautifully, and and everyone's looking at it, thinking, man, what is, like, what is in the box, and and even as you're sharing, there's things that you're starting to like unpack the box. You're starting to pull the paper off, say, hey, I want you to see something. You can be other. You can be salty. You can yes. belong to Jesus. And you can see people and the atmosphere and situations in a way that no one else is seeing. You're not going to hear that in the media. You're not going to see that on someone's Twitter feed. What, you're, what you are speaking of is the Spirit of God helping us right now in these hours and giving us the access if we would yet listen and look up, say, hey, I'm showing you. I'm showing you how to be a John Vassar right now. Mm -hmm. I'm showing you. everybody else. There's only, there's only maybe only one of him. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people. And there were other believers yes. in America. We had great awakenings already. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were Christians. There were people going to church. There were other people who were following Christ in the North and the South armies. Yeah, yeah. But somehow he tapped into something yeah. that they weren't seeing that I wonder what if, what if there wasn't just one of them? Yeah. Like, what if there was actually a thousand of them? And I wonder what if there's a thousand of them, maybe, just maybe, every man at Gettysburg could yeah. have heard, yeah. do you love Jesus? Do you know him? So Do you want to know him? 
And so what you're sharing, Kurt, is making me think about, okay, there is gold here. There's something here that we've got to latch on to. God is allowing us to see this big gift that, hey, if we can unwrap it, oh, what's inside? Mm -hmm. What's inside is good, and it's needed, and it's right now. And people are searching for that. That's They're funny. not sure what to do. I believe Christians, church leaders, like searching for what is it? What's, what's the secret sauce? <laughs> because, because people feel stuck, yeah. right? And I think mm -hmm. we're hearing you kind of unpack in a way this kingdom secret sauce, which is nothing new, but it is, is looking at it through a way that we've maybe missed it. Okay. That's good. So uh, before we end here in a few minutes, I want you just to unpack a little bit about prayer because, yes, you know, thank you. so obviously we're talking about being citizens of heaven and, you know, our heavenly father, uh, you know, I think about the Lord's prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you know, there is this connection to father God or heavenly father, this reality, you know, we know in the scriptures it speaks to when, when you come into relationship with Christ, you now belong to him. There's this mm -hmm. idea of abiding in him. Mm -hmm. We think about, you know, how, you know, how do I, how do I pray without ceasing? What does that yeah. really mean? Is that just me in a corner all day with hoodie and just pray, 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 pray until uh -huh. I can't breathe? You know, what does that mean? Because I think prayer is something that we like. Similar vein to the box concept of, I want. That. I don't know what it yeah. is. I think prayer is, if you're a follower of Christ. Or actually, if you're part of more or less any world religion, mm -hmm. prayer is part of the deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's five times a day, mm -hmm. or it's praying, or how you do it. So prayer, praying to a higher being, to, that's mm -hmm. a concept that many people in the world have heard before mm -hmm. or try to experience. But the reality is, the for for someone, and I'll use this language, for someone to feel like that they're winning mm -hmm. at prayer, I'm not so sure how many Christians you would say, hey, yeah. do you feel like you're winning? As in, really as in, it's actually happening. It's like, point. no, no, I, I wanted to. I know I should. I've heard about it. I've read the Lord's Prayer. I, I know. But like, what does that actually mean? I think people struggle with that. And so maybe just speak a little bit into just maybe unpacking. Okay, at like the core of, if you were to unpack for someone, let's say someone's watching here and yeah. they're like, hey, I, I raise up my hand. Uh, I, I want to pray. I, I, I even text friends once a week praying for you, but, but they're not really. Mm -hmm. But it's a cultural thing yeah. we say. Mm -hmm. How do we move it from being a cultural idea or a desire to a reality that's actually saying, I know this is, this is what that can look like and that connection and that experience? Because I think we're longing. We're longing for this. Mm -hmm. But I'm not so sure we actually know how to. It's like we want something that we're not really sure how to get. Yeah. or how to receive or how to connect with. So maybe unpack it a little Got bit. Got it. Yeah, this is great. I'm excited. Um, I think there's there's two modes of prayer I'll bring up. Um, one is probably something everyone listening or watching would have already guessed. The other is just another angle on it. But the first is actually structuring time to pray. That's yeah. a no-brainer. But I think what hinders it is our fierce mountain of stuff we've got to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, a, that, that's, that's what hinders me. Yes. But... Um, but what's informed in prayer is, is a faith that what we do in prayer has a disproportionately larger effect than what we think or, or feel or even ask, according to Paul. And so uh, I know when we were in Afghanistan, there were periods of time where we would give a full third of the workday to, wow. to intercession. And we were learning from 
Uh, I didn't have any gray hair back then, but we were learning, <laughs> for, learning from people with grace and gray hair who'd done this for years, yes. and it was no secret to Afghans and um, our neighbors. You know, we were a people of prayer. Um, we weren't ashamed of it, and no. we saw over time how that, that discipline of structured prayer informed this process where a country that had 400 believers went to 4,000, mm. uh, with prayer being this underlying, kind of like the Edwards Aquifer under Austin, you know, it's this underlying yes. thing that you don't see, uh, but that, that, that is underneath the suffering, the labor, the, yep. you know, the action. Um, and I think that's, that's the hang up with us, right? It's, it's, it's because it's, it's an action on the invisible. Um, but, but unless we understand that one of our identities is, uh, I'll just use the phrase, undercover intercessors, mm. we'll, we won't learn, and it's a learning curve, the power of the influence of turning our frustration into intercession. Uh, what one person put it as, tunneling under a hardened heart, a hardened institution, a hardened group of people, whatever, tunneling under them. Uh, not that they would implode, but that the living water would come up. And, uh, and there, there needs to be this, I think, soaking in of testimonies that it works for us to buy into it. So I'll give one quick example and then give this other kind of idea. And it's a man named J.O. Frazier. Okay. So he, he was a professional engineer. Um, so uh, don't think he graduated from A&M, but that, that's a plus, whatever. He was an engineer. Um, he also played piano and loved to rock climb. So he was ahead of his time. Okay. Before there were walls, yeah, sure, he was doing sure. the real thing, you know, with no tether, full liability, whatever. And um, so he, he leaves his career in his 20s. He goes to southern China, and there are, uh, there's a north tribe and a south tribe, a north ethnic group and a south ethnic group called the Lisus. And he realizes, I'll probably be the only person helping to develop these people for years. So I've got to pick one. So he picks, he picks the Southern Lisu, mm. and he prays and concludes, okay, this is how I'll spend my time. From sunup to noon, this, this is documented in two books, one called Mountain Rain, one called Behind the Mountains, two biographies written by people who knew him. Um, from sunup to noon, I'll pray for the Northern Lisus. From noon to sundown, I'll labor among the Southern Lisus. And he did this, did this for years. Wow. And he combined his rock climbing passion with it and uh, had to leave the grand piano behind, I guess. But in the context of that, being an engineer, yes. he, he still learned the language enough to actually create an alphabet. So they had a, they had a language, uh, but they had no written form. And he created an alphabet, wow. uh, partially so that they could read the scriptures as he labored for their translation. So he did this for years. At one point in those years, he meets one illiterate Northern Lisu, one. He's at a trading post. And so he pours into this man to get him to memorize scripture, parables, anything he can, and then says goodbye to him and continues for years among the Southern Lisu. And he sees several hundred become believers, and he was passionate that they would be self-funded, no foreign money involved. Yep. And, um, and it's interesting, this is a worthy digression, because um, I think it hits on certain yep. cultural points now. When the communists took over China and they came to this people group, they said, First of all, this written language is awesome. This J.O. Frazier outsider, he did a good job. So we recognize this as your language. Teach this in the schools we're gonna build for you. The second thing they did was said, oh, you're homegrown Christians. There's no foreign money here. You can be Christians. And so even today under communist China, wow. they're looked at as a Christian ethnic group with their own language. 
Wow. End of digression to say working hard matters, okay? Yes. <laughs> it, yes. it, it, it has a fruit. But what happened to the one northern Lisu? At, a po- at some point in these years there, because he, he lived and died in southern China, 1938 is when he passed away, um, a delegation of northern Lisu come to him. Again, this is documented. Mountain Rain, Behind the Mountains are the two books you can find on Amazon. A delegation of northern Lisu believers come to him and say, Mr. Fraser, we've memorized all the scriptures and parables and stories you've told us, and we've come because we need more. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, we're, we're a community of believers. He said, well, how many are there of you? And um, it's documented that the leader of the delegation looks at the mountains um, filled with evergreen trees and says, there are as many as of us as there are the trees on this mountainside. Wow. And so whereas hundreds became believers, again, that was legit, you know, yes. a language and a people, thousands became believers. Mm in the tribe he never saw. And I think stories like that build my wow. faith yes. that the majority of my life is off camera, the majority of my life is not on a microphone, yes. uh, the majority of my life is not Instagrammed. Well, I'm an Instagram hermit, none of it's Instagrammed. Anyway, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I get faith in that, that mm. basically the Wi-Fi's on, full bar, all the time. Yeah. Okay, the other thing here, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, challenge, it's challenging to structure time. I do it because group prayer is important. Uh, I'm a part of a body, but most of my life is me living life with my deadlines and my appointments and my full plate. So here's my saying that I'm gonna throw out there. Once you understand compost, you understand prayer. Mm -hmm. If you understand compost, you understand prayer. What is compost but the scraps on your plate that you don't eat? Your full plate. What is, okay, let's, let's unpack this now that Kurt's gotten a little mystical and weird at the end of yeah, his podcast, on, okay? On. So um, what is that food on your plate? Well, it, it has a purpose. You eat it, you're strengthened and satisfied, and it's, its job is complete. But what of the scraps? Those go to the soil, and in some invisible way that you can never quite metric, they renew the soil And your food isn't technically replaced, your food is technically multiplied. Hmm. Because this compost has done this invisible work on the soil to make it new on the organic chemistry level. Somebody at A&M could explain this to me better. But you see what it's done, it's multiplied the fruit, the food, the the power of it's multiplied. And so, uh, but it's the scraps. So what is the point I'm getting at? I get in my car to come here to College Station. It's 5.06 a.m. I pray as a listener before the Lord until the clock turns 5.07. Put in the drive, I go. Um, I get to the office at work. I, it's, you know, I get to my, my little office. I put my backpack down. It's 8.32. Uh, I think I'll sit here at the foot of the couch and before the Lord, reflect on what's happened from the time I awoke to now, and then put before the Lord all the things I have in front of my day. Mm. It's 8.37, let's roll. I come home, give my amazing wife Karen a hug, say hi to the kids, go upstairs, on my knees. Uh, I'll set the timer for five minutes because my family needs me. 
I review the day, that, that thing that hurt, that, mm. that, that way God was kind to me that I just kind of was too busy to recognize, the, the oh, that to-do that I better write down. Mm. Oh, or just maybe simply I'm thankful because the aroma from the dinner smells really awesome. Yes. Oh, okay, alarm's off. Time to engage my family. The, it's like Ruth in the Old Testament. I've just gathered things. It's like Jesus in John 6, 12. He says, pick up the fragments. Don't let anything be lost. I just, in that way, I'm composting. Yes. And so in that way, I'm praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing doesn't mean, uh, at least this is what Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary. He says, it doesn't mean nonstop, like continually talking. It means continually recurring. Uh, dialeptos is the Greek. It, it, it basically means in everything that there's a gap, another thing comes up so that there's no gap at all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it just keeps coming up again. That's what, that's what prayer without ceasing means in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And, and somehow you find this curious thing happen to you. you. You find that sometimes you linger. You find that sometimes you forget the clock. You, right. and, and you find sometimes, and I'm talking about years here, uh, and you can't explain it, it seems like things are more fruitful. It seems like doors are open. It seems like you're being privileged to conversations and people sell outside your circle and you think, what business do I have being here, being a listener and an influencer? Uh, the compost has had its work, mm-hmm. you know? And I think prayer along with being salt, those who are both in solidarity with their culture and yet through a lifestyle that critiques and challenges its injustices, mm-hmm. you know, the intentional intervening when life is disregarded, when, when uh, economic hardships are not taken seriously, the, yeah. the, when authorities are abusive and yeah. we have to intervene and at the expense of our bodies, yeah. at the expense of our uh, coolness or likes on Facebook, we're intervening for the sake of truth and life and justice yes. and, and uh, authorities that are accountable. When we do those things of salt, yeah. this authentic love with this undercover life of prayer, yes. and then I've, I've kind of composting our time, yes. that, that's, a, that's an equipping I think that all of us can do, yes. just the traffic light at Tarot and university, yes. just try yes. it there, just pray there. I think it produces joy. Mm. And joy is the aroma different than everything else on the battlefield, everything mm. else on the playing field, everything, to ev- everything else in the debate. Crazy. Everybody was made for joy. We're never more human than when finally the marionette strings of the influences, the spiritual forces, the mindsets we've inherited and told what to do, the more those things are lifted off of us through a lifestyle of salt, authentic love and prayer, the people are freed up to be fully human to to this high honor of making choices and discovering the God who made them, discovering the Lord who saves them. And, And then they can be the ultimate thing, being God designed them for those who experience joy, mm. wonder, awe. Uh, there's a place for wisdom, there's a place for knowledge, but ultimately that's like the, the mezzanine seats to the game, the wonder, the revealing of, yes. oh my goodness, this is what it means to be alive, this is what it means to know God, this is what it means to be wow. saved and loved and washed and belonging to the Lamb of God. And we 
offer these hors d'oeuvres, you know? <laughs> Whether it's a pizza roll level or something classy on a Ritz, you know, we, uh, yes. something in our, our lives offer this thing of, you're joyful. Yeah. What are you on? Yes. <laughs> uh, that's actually, who am I on? Yes, yes. And that's where all this ends up. And the mm. joy silences the noise. And those who are not hardened but hungry from every direction say, oh, I want that living water. Oh, I want that vintage. Yep. I want that which has the, this water that's turned to wine. Ah, yes. This is the, be the best has been saved for last. And then we see the hope go forward yes. of a transformed community yes. in the midst of our Amen. chaotic culture. Amen. So hopefully Kurt, this is good. That's beautiful. Is this good? And I think, you know, I think it's fitting just to have you pray to close our yeah. podcast today. Yeah, and do it. I think just the last thing I'll share is as, as you're talking, you know, I, as I'm thinking about our conversation today, it's um, there, there's a reality that all of us live on earth, but what you're speaking into is that we live on earth, but we function as citizens of heaven in our beliefs and our faith and our approach. And that's mm -hmm. that saltiness. That's that yeah. otherness because we are, we are portraying a love, a, a God, a life that this world does not know of. And as we encourage the supernatural encouragement, as mm -hmm. we understand culture, as we lead with love and don't be afraid to share the truth, as exactly. all these pieces so together and the compost and the prayer reality, like, yeah, that those are other. Those are salty. And we don't lose that saltiness. And I think you've spoken to that so beautifully today. So, Kurt, if you would, yeah. just pray for us to close our time today. I'll do it. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for Jesus. And I'm thankful for his words that are life-giving to everyone taking in this podcast when he said in Matthew 13, 33, that the kingdom is like leaven mm -hmm. in the dough that a woman took and mixed until it went through the whole lump of dough. And I bless each person, be they an empty nester, be they a college freshman, be they someone who's been excluded, be, them, be they someone who's too busy and overwhelmed, whoever they are and wherever they find themselves caught in the chaos and the anger and the noise, I'm asking now that a whole new identity would eclipse all that, that they are this holy, beautiful, often invisible, but inevitable mm -hmm. influence an influence that goes through every cubicle, to every yes. playing field, to every category, to every place of worship, Lord, to every stratum, to every ethnic and cultural and lifestyle background, this, this influence that is both in and yet other. And I just bless people with a gentle confidence to be those mm -hmm. who intercede, who yeah. remember the poor, who offer authentic life-giving words that come from what they see and know mm -hmm. of you in all your truth by the Spirit as you work in people's lives all around us. Let them be the disarmers who bring people to the delight of the possibility mm -hmm. of an everlasting joy Yes, through Jesus. I just pray all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, Kurt, it's been a joy. It really has. It's been so fun. We're... We're going to have you back already. So we're looking for Kirk in 2021 also. But <laughs> guys, thanks so much for joining with us in the whole podcast. We look forward to uh, connecting with you again in the coming days and weeks. And remember, we're citizens of heaven and we're going to lead with love. So other than that, have a great day. We'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.